This is episode 69 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are, The Simple Things Could Mean the Difference Between Life and Death, A Real Life Scenario, 13 Prepper Uses for Plastic Sheeting, and How to Prepare for Ebola 2.0, It's Back. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, yesterday we had the free canning webinar with Melissa K. Norris. Uh, I thought it was very, very informative and very educational. Um, she talked about some things that uh, just in canning that you that well that I didn't know. I'm, I'm not an ex- expert canner or anything, but uh, just some things that uh, you know you. I, wh- what I'm trying to say is I think there was something in there for everyone. Uh, she talked about things that you shouldn't can, things that you you can can. Uh, she talked about uh, you know how to be how to go about and do it safely. So you know the myths. Those of you who are scared that you're, you're going to blow up your your uh, your canner and you, you know you're going to kill yourself or something. Uh, she talks about that. She talked about some new things that she has learned, and then also some. Uh, uh, some myths that uh, that she has, you know, had to put down and like, hey, these don't really work. If you do this, you're going to get sick. And uh, you know, a lot of it, she says, is still going around on the internet on Pinterest. But anyway, uh, after the webinar, I thought it was really good, and I wanted to really uh, be able to show that to the rest of my, uh, you know, the Prepper website readers, and then you know, let you know those of you who are listening to uh, to to me on the on the podcast here. To give you an opportunity to go look at that video that she uh, that she did, because I thought it was very educational. You know, if you're on the fence about canning, and definitely using canning for food storage, and maybe you know that is a very economical way to to do things. She talks a lot about that. Talks a lot about how she had to uh, open up cans when you know they were in uh, you know kind of like you know uh, flooded in or uh, not flooded in, but I think snowed in. Uh, when you know electricity was out, and she you know she she talks about all those kinds of things, but when you can you can not only are you you can you can things that you're producing so if you have a big garden and you're producing extra, you can can those so it doesn't go to waste uh, but also when you're out there in at the grocery store and it's you know the season of whatever and you're able to find things uh very cheaply and you're able to bring them home and you can put them away and can them and put them away and then uh when you want them and they're you know very expensive when it's not the the right season they're very expensive you have those kinds of things so she talked a little bit about that and then not only that uh, able to make foods you know your food go a lot further food storage and all that kind of stuff so anyway i am going to she gave me permission to put the video up on uh, edthatmatters.com, so I'm going to go ahead and have that up there. By the time you, you're listening to this, it should be there already. And uh, one of the things that she offered at the very end is she offered her canning, um, her canning course. Uh, you don't have to, you know, subscribe to uh, to her uh, canning course to be able to watch the video. You can go watch the video, but if you want to know how to can and kind of like uh, you know, put all the myths aside and then can with confidence. I think it's a very worth it, uh, a very worth it uh, investment to put, you know, to put into your preps because this is something that you would gain back very, very quickly with the amounts of money that you would save as you as you start to can and as you start to get into it. But anyway, so there is a discount. Uh, for a certain amount of time, I think for about five days. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, of course, you know that I record this in the evening time, so I'm recording this on Wednesday night. So I think five days from now, uh, that uh, that offer uh, flies off, and then it goes back to kind of full price. But uh, definitely something that you should should uh, check out. If not, just go for the video. But I think the video after you watch that again, like I said, if you're somebody that's on the fence. I think that video is going to convince you to just jump in and, you know, start saving money, start putting away some of your food storage. Yeah, you doing that. Food storage is so expensive. Uh, but, you know, this is a way that you can do it and you can do it cheaply now when uh, you can afford things and put it up, you know. Uh, 
canning is not going to last you know 25 years but you can definitely start rotating it and uh, start saving a lot of money while you're doing that so uh, be on the lookout for that I'm going to link to it if I can on uh, episode 69 so come check that out or just go straight to edthatmatters.com all right, uh, let's go ahead and jump into the first article. The first article comes from my website. It, actually, it's mine, uh, edthatmatters.com. And the, the title of the article is The Simple Things Could Mean the Difference Between Life and Death. It's a real-life scenario. I always love looking at these uh, real-life scenarios because I think that we, you know, it's, it's not just somebody's opinion. Uh, you're able to get some lessons, glean some lessons from someone that was out there. So let's go ahead and st- get started. It's the simple things, the know-hows, and the skills to actually do it that can mean the difference between life and death. This truth didn't become more real than just recently when a father and son were lost in Australia and were thought to be dead. It was a crude shelter they built that kept them alive. John Ward, 42, and his son Stephen, 13, decided to spend some time bonding and went on a day hike in the Tasmanian wilderness, Nine Mile Creek, Arthur's Plains to be exact. They mistakenly started a multi-day hike thinking it was just a day hike trail. It nearly turned, this is quote, it nearly turned to tragedy but left them unscathed apart from Mr. Ward's mild hyperthermia as well as being inexperienced they were underprepared for the punishing conditions. With snow falling on nearby mountains their chances of survival were rated 0 to 5% by some searchers on Thursday morning after a third night in the open. So I want you to just think about this mom who was, uh, you know, told, hey, your husband and your son are missing. There's zero to five percent chance that they're living. You know, that would be so terrible to to hear that. Rescuers credited the father and son's survival on one big factor, the ability to make a shelter. They've built a small shelter from vegetation. This is, quote, they've built a small shelter from vegetation. They've been able to protect themselves somewhat from the elements from the heavy rain we had, Sergeant Williams said. That's most likely saved their lives. They've had the smarts to build something like that and keep themselves out of the weather, end quote. Some other things that helped in their survival and rescue were they were able to find a food depot that was left out for other bushwalkers. They were able to eat and maintain their energy throughout the three days they were exposed. On the day they were found, they walked to higher ground, but left clues for searchers and even used something reflective to signal as well as yelling. Real-life survival stories help us understand how quickly a situation that we are in can go south. It also helps us understand or be reminded that there are some things that we can do and lessons to be learned so we don't make the same mistakes. Lessons to learn. Kid up. Regardless if you are going on a day hike or not, if you are traveling somewhere, carry a survival kit with you. Putting some supplies inside a small backpack would have made a big difference in this scenario. A knife, a fire kit, some cordage, a means to filter water, some snacks, and first aid supplies should be the minimum. You just never know. What would it have been like if this father and son had a fire kit and knew how to make a fire? They would have stayed a lot warmer and could have signaled rescuers more easily. And just by the way, they didn't really uh, experience any harm. Uh, a little a little mild like hyperthermia, but uh, I think the father did. But for the most part, no kind of frostbite, no nothing. Uh, so, you know, they did pretty good surviving that. Um, I do want to say I read on another article, I didn't put it in this article, that the father built, uh, you know, we always give this guy a lot of grief. Uh, the father built the shelter after... Uh, because he watched an episode of Bear Grylls, right? And so he was able to build a, a shelter. So, I mean, you can chop up watching those survival shows. You, there are some benefits to it, right? Especially Bear Grylls. All right, so my suggestion, su- suggestion on Kit Up. If you are not comfortable in your firecraft skills yet, please purchase some wet fire to go in your kit. Having this will help ensure you have a way to start a fire in harsh conditions and at the very minimum, make yourself a robust Altoids tin kit that you can slip in your pockets in a moment's notice. Check out these easy DIY fire starters. They are all very easy to make. 
So this is, I love this. I, I think I uh, referred to it yesterday, this DIY fire starter video. Um, I'm going to be making the ones with the matches. Uh, and I've got tons of Altoids. I, I use Altoids all the time. So I have tons of uh, tins, and I'm going to go ahead and make one of those. I think that's uh, pretty good. I uh, look forward to using that one. Continuing on, get familiar with the lay of the land before you go out. The Tasmanian wilderness is beautiful but can be deadly. In researching this story, I came across another situation where a forest guide tripped and broke her ankle. She spent two days out in the wilderness in cold temperatures. So if even guides can have a hard time out there, we should do everything that we can to make sure our memories are all good ones. And I've given you the source so that you can go read that story. The Tasmanian Wildlife Service has a nice PDF with plenty of info. The pics alone are worth a peek. Many, and there's a source to go ahead and download that PDF. Many places that have hiking trails have something similar, but you should also have a trail map and a compass and know how to use it. Just don't go out without doing some research on where you're going. My suggestion, watch this video on how to use a compass and practice in your neighborhood or local park. Teach your kids how to do this too. Also, if this guide would have been carrying around a whistle, it would have helped others locate her her more easily. I purchased this whistle for my wife for safety reason. It is supposed to be the loudest made whistle available. So um, I do have a, a link to that uh, a video for Map and Compass there. Continuing on, get some book knowledge. Book knowledge will never replace actual skills. And let me say that again so you make sure that you read it. Book knowledge will never replace actual skills. But it is in reading and studying where we get ideas and a foundation for building on our current knowledge. My suggestion, create a list of survival skills you would like to learn. Firecraft, filtering water, building a shelter, making cordage, etc. Then devote a few hours on the weekends to practicing one until you feel comfortable enough to mark it off your list. Also purchase a copy of Morris Kachansky's classic book, Bushcraft. This is a must-have book if you are going to be spending time in the wilderness. Let others know where you are going. I understand sometimes you just want to get away, but it is just being responsible to let others know where you are going. There are people that will be worried and scared that something terrible has happened to you. In the father and son situation, the wife was frantic. Could you imagine losing your husband and son at the same time? They might not have been able to let someone at the campsite know where they were going, but they could have left a message in their tent or even in their vehicle. Something like, it's Friday, 1 p.m., we are taking a day hike trip down such and such trail. I agree this would be a pain and something else to do, but you just never know. Even if you think you are experienced, it is a good practice. For another example, in the above situation with the female trail guide, if she would have let others know where she was going or left a message, they would have found her so much more easily. My suggestion, get into the habit of letting those close to you know where you are going. It's a hassle, but better safe than sorry. Think worst case scenario. Some will take this as pessimistic, but I don't. I like to think about what is the worst case scenario and then put things in place to help mitigate that possibility. It's an attitude that doesn't come from a point of fear, but instead a place of strength. You have the strength to change things, make adjustments, prepare before you are stuck in a terrible situation. If this father would have thought worst case scenario, he might have realized that they could get lost or even hurt on the trail. He could have then taken measures to mitigate that possibility, like kid up and leave a message about their route on the trail. My suggestion, if you are going to spend time in the deep wilderness or even on the ocean, get a personal beacon device. These devices will connect with satellites and send your coordinates to rescuers. They are pricey for something you might not ever use, $260, but if you needed it, what is your life worth? Concluding thought, we get put in situations every single day that can go south. Just getting in your car and driving to the corner can change your life forever. And although spending some time outside is a goal for many of us, we should be even more careful and wise about how we prepare and prep when we are out in the wilderness whatever that looks like for you. Be smart and don't add more grief to your life, yours or anyone you love. All right, so that is simple things. Can make a difference. A real life scenario, and that's the Ed that matters. Um, and a couple of uh, comments there. My friend Ted Walker, over, Todd Walker, sorry, sorry, Todd. Todd Walker over at Survival Sh uh, Sherpa. Um, 
Thanks for coming. And Linda, Linda and Dean also dropping some comments down there. So come by and check that out. Read that one. Check out the, the Firecraft one is just awesome. I mean, there's a couple of fire starters in there that you should just, um, easy to make, you know, a little weekend type thing. Do a quick craft and put that in your fire kit. Make a couple of fire kits and, uh, maybe, you know, give those away, uh, if, you know, for, to someone, but, uh, very easy to make. So if anything, that fire, uh, the making the fire starter video is definitely worth it, but the compass video is worth it. A lot of good stuff there. All right, moving on. Uh, the next article comes to us from Urban Survival Site, and this one's entitled "13 Prepper Uses for Plastic Sheeting." Now, um, I think that plastic sheeting, um, you know, you're going to like tie plastic sheeting really. Like, yeah, I, I think that it is one of those things that you do want to keep on hand. I mean, I don't think it's one of those priorities where you put that before food or you put it before water or anything like that. But um, you know, I've gone to Home Depot and I have uh, purchased. Uh, you know, some of those rolls, and I have a couple of them to use for various reasons. Um, <clears throat> one of them just, you know, that I use uh, when uh, my garden, when it goes to winter, or, you know, or even when I want to kill off weeds, I've got the black plastic sheeting that I put on, and, and uh, so it'll heat up those weeds and, and hopefully kill them. But uh, sometimes it works. It doesn't work as well as I would like it to. It doesn't kill all of them, but it does work. But anyway, so let's go ahead and get into this one, and uh, I do want to just talk a little bit at the very end, uh, uh, just an idea. All right, um, so 13 prepper uses for plastic sheeting. For those who are prepping for tougher times, there are certain items whose numbers of uses is almost limitless. Duct tape comes to mind, as does paracord, but another item that certainly deserves consideration for one of the most useful things you can have is plastic sheeting. From collecting rainwater to making a shelter, there's no end to the number of things you can do with plastic sheeting, also known as Visiqueen. Listed below are just a few of the disaster scenarios, applications that plastic sheeting is perfect for. Number one is waterproofing firewood. Firewood doesn't burn very well if it's sopping wet. In conditions where building a fire may already be difficult, the last thing you want to deal with is wet firewood. Fortunately, wrapping your firewood supply in plastic sheeting is a great way to keep it bone dry no matter how hard the rain comes down. Plastic sheeting can also be used to keep your matches, clothing, and anything else you might need to shield from the elements completely dry. The, the one thing that I want to add to that is um, if you can, you don't want the sheet so much touching all the wood. Uh, in other words, I... I, I don't know if I would just kind of lay it over the firewood. Um, it would depend on where you live, but here in uh, the Houston area in Texas, it's very humid. And so um, if I was to completely surround wood uh, with a plastic sheet and then it rained, uh, the humidity, it would con you know, there would be condensation on the inside of that plastic and that wood would get wet. If I didn't... Uh, uncover that wood very quickly that wood would then rot and so that's something to consider there when you're when you're talking about that yes cover it if you're in a very humid situation where or environment where uh, there's a lot of a lot of rain you might want to loosely cover it or have maybe have like a frame that uh, goes around that covers it uh, just so you know it doesn't uh, you don't have condensation on the inside and just keep your water or your wood wet all the time all right moving on Collecting rainwater. Though it might ruin your firewood, rain can be good for some things, too, namely providing you with fresh drinking water. You just need a way to collect it, and making a catchment area out of plastic sheeting that drains down into your container is a good way to start. Making a shelter. Hopefully you'll be able to put together a better shelter than one made out of plastic sheeting. But if push comes to shove, a plastic sheeting tent can make the wind and rain off of you, at least until you can make plans for slightly more adequate living conditions. Number four, building a solar still. If you're in a desert area or anywhere else at a point in time when a rain isn't in the forecast, collecting rainwater to drink may not be an option. In situations such as these, building a solar cell building a solar still could save your life. Solar stills work by heating up the soil until the water in it evaporates, then capturing the water. To build one, all you need to do is dig a wide hole in the ground, secure a container as its center, line in the hole 
with plastic sheeting and secure the edge of the sheeting around the hole's perimeter with large rocks. Then place a fist-sized fist rock at the center of the sheeting directly above your container. Wait a few hours and you'll have a supply of fresh sterile drinking water. I think you, you might want to be putting some vegetation in there. Uh, and you also, uh, if you have dirty water that's un unfiltered water from somewhere, you can put that in there as well as the sun heats it up. It will... Uh, uh, condensate and then uh, drop down that what is going to give you a little and it's you know not enough definitely to keep you uh, you know give you the gallon that you need every you know for every day but it's going to give you a, enough hopefully to keep you alive so anyway going on number five covering the ground whether you are needing a clean place to skin an animal or just want to avoid sleeping on the dirt, plastic sheeting is great for covering an area of ground in a clean, sterile surface. Number six, patching leaks and broken windows. You can repair a lot of damage with some plastic sheeting and a roll of duct tape. From patching leaks in your roof to covering a broken window on your vehicle, plastic sheeting is the perfect material for making makeshift repairs. It may not look the best once you're finished, but it'll get the job done. Number seven, creating a quarantine room. In the event of a pandemic, you may need to create a quarantine room to keep from exposing yourself and loved ones to the disease. This is especially important if you decide to take in someone who may or may not be contagious. Lining a room with plastic sheeting allows you to create a quarantine room where people can be kept until the disease runs its course or until it is proven that they are not infected. So uh, we'll touch on that one in the next one, uh, the next article. And... Um, I definitely don't want to make a quarantine room inside of my house, uh, regardless of how much I, I have available to me, uh, how much plastic sheeting. But uh, I guess it is possible to do. Number eight, building a greenhouse. The ability to grow plants year-round could prove invaluable during a disaster scenario. To do this in most climates, though, you will need to build a greenhouse. While there are expensive greenhouse kits you could purchase ahead of time, a wooden structure covered with transparent Plastic sheeting will work nicely in a pinch, allowing you to, to grow food all year. Number, number nine, putting up blackout curtains. If the power is out in your neighborhood, the last thing you want to do at night is broadcast to the world that your home has power. Desperate people would jump at the opportunity to steal your generator. To keep the light from shining through your windows, you will want to make blackout curtains, and black plastic sheeting is the perfect material to use. A little bit of thick black plastic sheeting and a few nails will allow you to keep the power on at night and still keep a low profile. Number 10. Protecting your plants from frost. A late frost can be devastating to your plant survival and if you are relying on them as a food source, your own survival as well. Plastic sheeting, however, can be combined with old blankets to ensure your plants stay protected from the elements. The night before an expected frost, just cover your plants with a blanket and then cover the blanket with plastic sheeting. You want to be sure and put the blanket down first, though, as covering your plants with the plastic directly could damage them. And also be sure to it's not a very heavy blanket. You may even want to use stakes to keep some of the weight of the blanket off of your plants. Number 11, waterproofing containers. If you have a large container such as a barrel or swimming pool that has sprung a leak, you can easily waterproof it again by lining it with plastic sheeting. This container can then be used to collect and store rainwater, used as a place to keep uh, uh, live fish, used to bathe in, or used in any other number of ways. Number 12, trapping heat. During the winter, heating your home may prove to be a constant challenge. In order to keep your home as warm as possible, you will want to limit the amount of space that has to be heated and close off any unused areas. To do this, cover the entrance to unused area with plastic sheeting and cut them off from the source of your heat. In addition to this, plastic sheeting can be used to block drafts coming in from doors and windows to keep your home a little warmer. Overall, plastic sheeting isn't the best insulator, but it does block airflow pretty well, making it convenient way making it a convenient way to better control the climate in your house number 13 body bags okay so this is a little this one is pretty grim but in a worst case scenario there are going to be a lot of dead bodies out there to avoid the smell and prevent the spread of disease you can wrap up wrap them up in plastic sheeting what types to get plastic sheeting can be clear or black and thick about six mil or thin about three to four mil I recommend purchasing several types of plastic sheeting so that you'll have what you need for a variety of situations. For example, thin clear plastic sheeting would be good building 
a, a solar still, but thick, clear plastic sheeting would be better for covering windows. And thin black plastic sheeting would be great for waterproofing containers while sim simultaneously keeping them hidden, but bl thick black plastic sheeting would be best for patching a leaky roof. Consider your potential needs and prepare accordingly. All right, so I agree. I, I think that if you are adding to your preps and you're looking for something uh, to add, I think something that has multiple uses is um, plastic sheeting. And again, I, I purchased the six mil rolls, rolls from Home Depot uh, and have that there. So the thing that I wanted to talk about here is, um, you know, a lot of us have water storage and a lot of us have, uh, and this kind of just came up as I was preparing for the podcast. Uh, a lot of us have, and something that I've thought about for my own, you know, preparedness if, if needed. A lot of us have water storage, and but eventually, at some point, if we are in a real SHTF scenario, that water is going to uh, is going to go right. So we're going to need a way to um, to replenish that water. So one of the things that you can do, let's say you are in, uh, you're bugging in, and you you're in your home, and you have a fence, your typical backyard, right? One of the things that I always thought about was having a pretty big tarp that um, maybe with bungee cords I would or or paracord that I would go ahead and stretch out, uh, you know, have it center of my backyard and then stretch it out along to the different fences and uh, you know all you know four directions. And so when it rains, you know, have it ready to deploy pretty quickly. But when it rains, get that out there and then have a way to divert the water into a container that would ho hold the water. And uh, I wouldn't leave it out there all the time because then it would get dirty and then you'd have to wind up filtering it. But if you could keep it out there and bring, you know, when it's raining get the water, divert the water. I mean, you would be out there with it while it was raining, right? And you would be filling up containers and filling up everything that you possibly could so that you could, you know, save every little ounce of water. But then after it rained or after I filled up all my containers, I would take that tart down, dry it, and then roll it up and deploy it next time. And so I thought that that was always something that would be be useful. Um, they make very, very big tarps. I think you should have a couple of tarps anyway. I think that's uh, you know good to have. Um, but anyway, there, there's always ways to find you know places to find tarps and multiple uses for tarps. Just like there's multiple uses for plastic sheeting. Theoretically, you could do this with plastic sheeting as well. Um, you just with the tarps you already have the the you know the eye the eye rings in there so that you can kind of use those but you can use plastic sheeting as well if you've ever seen um ever seen any videos or whatever where uh they're using like a plastic tarp or, or a plastic sheeting and they'll put a rock on the end and then and then uh tie um you know and wrap that in the plastic and then tie a rope to that plastic or to that rock that's that's you know uh, that surrounded by the plastic. I know this kind of may be hard to uh, explain, you know, while I'm talking on the on the on the microphone uh, on the podcast, but um, you'll see that in multiple ways. If you ever go, if you see, go look up a YouTube video on you know building a shelter with some plastic, a plastic tarp or whatever. You'll you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, pretty easy to do. But anyway, that's just my idea. Maybe something that you can do if you are bugging. If your plan is to bug in. And eventually you, you're not on a well and eventually you, you feel like your water will run out. Um, you could set up a system like that, a big tarp and a way to uh, divert the water in, into containers. All right, moving on to the next article. Now, this article is coming to us from the Organic Prepper. And uh, it's called, It's Back How to Prep for Ebola 2.0. Now, um, there's a comment in the comment section here that uh you know it's like hey uh, kind of like fear porn fear mongering whatever uh and i mean i don't think they necessarily say that but i mean they're kind of alluding to that and talking about the percentages of uh how quickly this has uh the percentages how quickly it's gone up 800 percent but the reason i'm reading this article um is just the overall pandemic understanding and uh when we talk about being preppers Sorry, hitting my chair over here in my kitchen. When we talk about being preppers, and the way that I close out the podcast, you know, every evening is, you know, stay prepped and aware. One of the things about being aware is looking at things when they're starting out and keeping an eye on them, right? So if, you know, I live in Houston on the Gulf Coast, 
uh, you know, 50 miles away from Galveston, if there is a hurricane that comes into the Gulf, even if it's closer to Florida and and you know, way over there, you know, it would take still would take days to get over to us. I'm still keeping my eye on it, right? I'm keeping my eye on it. I'm looking at the news. I'm going to Hurricane Tracker, and I'm tracking it so that I can see where it's coming. So if it's coming my way, all right, so I start getting prepared. But I'm looking at it ahead of time. The same thing with this Ebola thing is it's starting out again. I mean, every it's like it was dead. It was gone. It was pretty, you know, it, it, as it revved up last time, it was kind of like, whoa, you know, what's going on? Uh, when you looked at the videos and you looked at the pictures and you looked at the numbers of people, you know, over there when last time that it happened, I mean, it was pretty scary. Uh, a lot of people were like, it's, it's very hard to catch. It's not easy to catch. It doesn't, you know, go through the air, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of people were catching it. One of the reasons why a lot of people were dying, though, is because, you know, you, you get dysentery, you get, uh, you know, you, you get the diarrhea, you get, you get dehydrated, and then other things start to happen in your body, start to shut down. And here in America, we would have all, you know, we would have fluids and we would have all that kind of stuff readily available to us. But nevertheless, um, it's a good practice to, all right, this is something to keep an eye out on. Same thing with whatever's going on in the Middle East. The same thing with what's going on with, uh, you know, the crazy little man in North Korea. Uh, it's always a good idea to kind of, you know, not, not sitting at your computer and, you know, every single night, you know, looking at, you know, all the news and, and freaking all out. But, you know, going to it every once in a while, keeping an eye on it, you know, so that you are ahead. One of the things that Daisy uh, alludes to here is to is uh, keeping that, uh, you know, that ability to to be on the lookout. Maybe it was Daisy or maybe it was the comment that I was reading. I, I'm getting him confused maybe now, but uh, we'll we'll see here <laughs> very shortly, right, when I get to reading it. It's like, Todd, shut up and start reading the article. But uh, I, anyway, so that's why I'm reading this article. I don't want people to like, Todd, Ebola, really? Uh, but I, it's the pandemic value of it because eventually everyone, it's not, it's not when, uh, you know, it's not if, but when this is going to happen. At some point, it is going to happen, right? Pandemic is going to hit. But uh, it's more about is that and, uh, you know, the idea of staying aware, you know, keeping up with what's going on uh, and uh, knowing so that you, you can protect yourself and your family. So here we go. It's back. How to prepare for Ebola 2.0. Let's start reading. On May 12th, the World Health Organization declared an Ebola epidemic epidemic in the Congo. It looks like it could be time to prep for Ebola 2.0. The H, I'm sorry, the WHO had already warned a new outbreak could happen at any time because the virus lurks in the eyes, central nervous system, and bodily fluids of survivors. Dr. Peter Salama, the executive director of the WHO's Health Emergencies Program, told the press to never ever underestimate Ebola and to make sure we have a no regrets approach to this outbreak. The fact that this epidemic is currently in a remote part of the northeast Congo should set your mind at ease, although not so much that you don't keep an eye on the situation. With the availability of rapid air travel and unchecked immigration into Europe, these types of things can spread incredibly quick. This map from the CDC shows the area in which the current outbreak is centered. It's the large red splotch in the northern part of the Congo. It, it is both good and bad news that the area is extremely remote. It's good because it lessens the possibility for exposure to other areas. Not many people travel in and out of Lakati because there are no paved roads. But this has also caused concerns because it makes it far more difficult to monitor the area and it's spreading fast. Quote, the risk from the outbreak is high at the national level, the WHO said, because the disease was so severe and was spreading in a remote area in northeastern Congo with suboptimal surveillance and limited access to health care. Risk at the regional level is moderate due to the proximity of international borders and the recent influx of refugees from Central African Republic, the organization said. But it nonetheless described the global risk as low because that area is so remote. 
About a week ago, in addition to the nine suspected cases, 125 patients who had come into into close contact with the disease were being monitored. Now, about 400 patients are being followed, even as nine new cases were reported on Thursday, according to the WHO. It's spreading rapidly throughout the region, up 8,000 over the last week. Now, okay, so that's where I'm talk- coming from, where the number was is just a couple of people, and then it jumped to, you know, uh, you know, to more, but, you know, it was... 800 sounds like a big number, but we're still talking like double digits here, low, low double, double digits. But they're still monitoring 400 people. So, um, you know, again, stay aware. Uh, part of the reason Ebola seems particularly terrifying is the graphic presentation, which is the stuff of horror movies. It is hemor- hemorrhagic disease. It is a hemorrhagic disease, which means that it can cause bleeding from the mouth, eyes, nose, and rectum. Here's how it progresses. Quote, the incubation period, that is the time interval from infection with the virus to onset of symptoms, is 2 to 21 days. Humans are not infectious until they develop symptoms. First symptoms are the sudden onset of fever, fatigue, muscle pain, headache, and sore throat. This is followed by vomiting, diarrhea, rash, symptoms of impaired kidney and liver functions, and in some cases, both internal and external bleeding, oozing from the, from the gums, blood in the stools, Laboratory findings include low white blood cells and platelets count and elevated liver enzymes, end quote. But it, but it isn't just the gruesome visuals. The risk of death from Ebola can be anywhere between the 50 to 90 percent depending on the strain. This outbreak is the Zaire strain of Ebola, which is the same one that made it to America back in 2014. If you recall the fact that it didn't become widespread in the U.S. during the 2014 2014 scare was not because it was handled properly and it was sheer luck when american patient zero thomas duncan first showed up in a texas emergency room he wasn't tested despite the fact that he told them he was from ebola stricken liberia proper practices were not followed and one of the nurses who cared for him became the second victim all sort of near miss misses occurred like the fact that the plane that carried an ebola patient made five trips before it was sanitized Quote, the news came out this morning that the second American nurse diagnosed with Ebola flew on a plane with 132 other passengers from Cleveland, Ohio to Dallas, Texas. Amber Vinson had a low-grade fever when she boarded the plane and was admitted to Texas Presbyterian Hospital just hours after disembarking. The latest horror? Not only were 132 people who flew with Vinson exposed to Ebola, it in the time it took the CDC to notify Frontier Airlines of the issue, five more flights were made. That sound in quote, sorry. That sounds like the plot of a cringy movie, well, where you watch the sneeze spray of an infected person in slow motion landing on everyone nearby. But that wasn't the only mind-boggling thing that happened. But that wasn't the. I'm sorry. So there's repeated. That wasn't the only mind-boggling thing that happened. Uh, we brought some exposed people back to the U.S. and put them in hotels. A couple of days ago, an American healthcare worker, this is quote, I'm sorry, quote, a couple of days ago, an American healthcare worker who had been definitely diagnosed with Ebola was brought back to the U.S. for treatment at the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. Eleven more patients have been isolated and are on their way to the United States as well after having had potential exposure to the disease. Now, about those people who were potentially exposed. They aren't being hospitalized. Oh no, they are being brought back to stay at hotels near three different hospitals in different regions of the country. I couldn't make this up if I tried, end quote. So, I think we can all agree, looking to the National Institute of Health, the CDC, and the WHO to keep us, quote-unquote, safe, is not the best fallback plan. We have to be prepared to take action ourselves should this outbreak turn into a pandemic. There's usually a little bit of warning before an outbreak becomes severe enough to warrant the title pandemic. It isn't like The Walking Dead where suddenly 80% of the population is affected overnight. 
With a pandemic, you hear a little hum about it before it gets bad. The World Health Organization makes some flyers, reports are given, and there is a mention on the evening news. But, generally speaking, officials are stingy with information because they don't want to, quote, start a panic, end quote. This means that the judicious prepper needs to pay close attention when new viruses begin to be mentioned. So that's where I'm, that's why I'm talking about this, uh, you know, that we need to uh, be paying attention when we hear things like that, like Ebola 2.0. Now, just because a virus is mentioned, it doesn't mean that it's going to become a pandemic, of course. However, it can be an early warning sign that you need to get your ducks in a row. Think of it like a tropical storm. You hear about it gathering steam out over the ocean well before it ever makes landfall. Just because there is a storm somewhere in the Atlantic, it doesn't mean that it's going to hit, but it means that the wise person begins to pay closer attention to the weather reports, makes certain that the basics are stockpiled, and puts together a plan just in case the time to board up the windows arrives. Avoiding contact with people who have the illness is the only way to prevent getting it. Should an outbreak occur, isolating yourself is the best way to stay safe and healthy. This is the tricky part. How do you know that the time has come to get the family inside and lock the doors behind you? Lizzie Bennett, a retired medical professional, wrote an incredible helpful article over on her website, Underground Medic, during the initial outbreak. Bennett recommends social dis distancing as the only effective way to protect yourself and your family from an outbreak of disease. Quote, how long you should remain isolated depends primarily on where you live. For those in towns and cities, it will be far much longer than those living in rural retreats where human contact is minimal. Though those fortunate enough to live in such surroundings should remember that if the situation is dire enough, people will leave the cities looking for safety in less populated areas. In large centers of population, there will be more people moving around, legally or otherwise. Each of these individuals represents a possible uptick in the disease rates, allowing the spread to continue longer than it would have they stayed indoors and or out of circulation. Even when the initial phase is on the wane or has passed through an area, people traveling into that area can bring it back with their triggering a second wave of disease as people are now emerging, emerging from their isolation. 100 miles is my buffer zone for disease. Of course, it could already be in my city, but practicalities dictate that I will not stay away from people because hundreds in Europe are dropping like flies. Maps of disease spread like, look like a locust swarm moving across the country, and this allows disease spread to be tracked on an hourly by hourly hour basis, one of the few instances where mainstream media will be useful." End quote. Once you've gone into lockdown, how long you must stay there is dependent on the spread of the illness. Times will vary. Bennett suggests these guidelines. Quote, Once the doors were locked, we would stay there for at least two weeks after the last case within 100 miles is reported. A government all clear would be weighed against how long it has been since the last case was reported in the area. I have designated as my buffer zone. This is, of course, still the chance that someone from outside the area will bring the disease in with them, causing a second wave of illness. You cannot seal off cities to prevent this. Going out after self-imposed isolation should be kept to a minimum for as long as possible, and if you don't have to, then don't do it. For better to let, far better to let those that are comfortable being out and about get on with it and see if any new cases emerge before exposing yourself and your families to that possibility." End quote. So what does it mean to get into lockdown? This Ebola thing could be can go bad in a hurry, and by bad I mean that the last time around it killed well over half of the people who contracted it in West Africa. If the situation hits close enough to home that you decide to go, it's time to isolate yourself. The rules to this are in, intractable. No one goes out, no one comes in. I know this sounds harsh, but there are to be no exceptions. If you make exceptions, you might as well go wrestle with runny-nosed strangers at the local Walmart and then come home and hug your children because it's the same thing. Once you have gone into lockdown mode, that means that the supplies you have on hand are the supplies you have to see you through. You can't rush out to the store and get something you've forgotten. That means if a family member shows up, they have to go into a quarantine for at least, at least four weeks, during which time they are not allowed access to the home or family, nor are they allowed to go out in public. Set up an area on your property that is far from your home for them to hang out for their mouth, their mouth, I'm sorry, for their month of quarantine. Sorry, my eyes are bugging out on me a little bit. If at the end of the month they are pre presenting no symptoms, then they can come in. It sadly means that you may 
be forced to turn someone away if they are ill because to help them means to risk your family. Now is this time to plan with your now is the time to plan with your preparedness group how you intend to handle the situation. Will you shelter together in the same location and reserve a secondary location to retreat to if the situation worsens further or if someone becomes ill? Will you shelter separately because of the nature of the emergency? Decide together on what event and proximity will trigger you to go into lockdown mode. Make your plan and stick to it, regardless of pressure from those who think you are overreacting, the schools that your children have stopped attending, and any other external influences. If you decide that there is a great enough risk that you need to go into lockdown, you must adhere to your plan. Prepare an isolation area. In the event that a member of your group becomes ill, they need to immediately be quarantined from the rest of the group. By the time they're showing symptoms, it could be too late to prevent the spread of illness, but effort should still be taken to isolate them. Here are some tips on isolating patients. The sick room should be sealed off from the rest of the house. Use a heavy tarp over the doorway to the room on the inside and the outside. This will make a small breezeway for the caretaker to go in and out. The caretaker should cover up with disposable clothing, gloves, shoe covers, and hair, cover, hair covers. The caretaker should wear an N95 mask. The sick, sick person should use disposable dishes and cutlery. All garbage from the sick room should be placed in a heavy garbage bag and burned outdoors immediately. The sick person should not leave the room. If there is not a bedroom with a connected bathroom, a bathroom setup should be created within the rooms. Great care must be taken with the disposable, disposal of this waste. You can learn more about preparing a sick room here. Do you have the supplies you need to weather a pandemic? It's time to do a last-minute check on your preps because by the time a general quarantine is announced in your area or you have the mainstream suggesting that people should stay home, it will be too late to get the rest of your supplies. As well at that point, the path of the pandemic will have progressed so much it will be unsafe to do so. You need to be prepared to go into family lockdown mode for a minimum of six weeks should things get bad in your area and preferably longer than that in the event that this takes a long time to contain. It's most likely that services should, such as public water and electricity, will remain intact, but you should prepare as though they won't be just in case. Here's a quick checklist along with some links to resources. Base amounts on the number of family members you'll be sheltering. Drinking water, one gallon per person per day. Food, including items that don't require fuel for preparation. Heavy-duty garbage bags, sanitation supplies such as toilet paper, paper towels, baby wipes, and feminine hygiene supplies. Entertainment, you'll want to be able to keep children and restless family members busy, so go get craft supplies, books, games, and puzzles. Basic medical supplies, here's a list. Pandemic kits that contain protective clothing. We have a pandemic flu kit for each family member. Extra N100 masks. N95 are better than nothing at all, but not sufficient. Nitrile gloves. Be sure to order appropriate sizes. Safety goggles with an elastic band to ensure a snug fit. Antibacterial cleaners such as disposable wipes, bleach, and spray cleaners. Antibacterial hand sanitizer. 12-pack of Purell pump bottle. Bleach for cleaning. Note. We don't commonly use antibacterial products, but in a situation like this, it's important to have this type of thing on hand in the event that there are issues with sanitation. Download the pandemic prepping shopping list here. See the links above for specific product recommendation. Books and reference materials. Prepping for a pandemic. This is the definitive guide. Preppers, Natural Medicine, Ebola Survival Handbook, a collection of tips, strategies, supply lists from some of the world's best preparedness professionals, the Preppers Blueprint, the step-by-step -step guide to help you through any disaster, the Pantry Primer, how to build a whole food pantry on a half-price budget, and the Preppers Water Survival Guide. All right, so uh, like I said, there are some articles in here, uh, people that have discussed with their landlord like what they would do, and then you know that one person talking about, hey, the you know that 800 percent uh increase uh it's kind of you know it's not the uh you know it's it's not as big a number as you as you think let me see if she says the number here of uh people um it went it went from three known cases to around 24 suspected cases so that's where the 800 percent comes from so uh again the reason why you're we're talking about this is to one keep it keep um, an eye out. I mean, once you you start hearing things, regardless of what they are, pandemic, 
you know, again, tropical storms, hurricanes, uh, fires, uh, you know, nat- I mean, you remember seeing those those videos of people that, uh, you know, they were surrounded by fire, you know, wildfires and uh, was engulfing their area. I mean, and they were like on the road, like fire all around them. And they were kind of freaking out. I mean, you kind of just get st- stressed out just by looking at that video. I mean, that was kind of crazy. But I mean, so all these kinds of things, you, you're on the, the, the lookout, you're listening, you're being aware. And then if you need to, you're, you're thinking about the plan in the back of your mind you know like hey what am I going to do am I going to bug out am I going to bug in you know those kinds of things you should have plans already in place but you know for that situation like what would I be doing uh, if this if this happens if this can if this is going to happen so it's always good to be thinking about that and then the other thing is is that you do want to have some uh, some supplies for a pandemic again that shouldn't be your first level of supplies you need to get water you need to get food you need to you know make sure that you have uh, medical your basic medical supplies you need to make sure that you have uh, a way to defend yourself and shelter those kinds of a way for sanitation if if whatever happens but uh, definitely pandemic when you when you get to the point you need to start doing that and definitely if you start hearing about Ebola or SARS or something else kicking up you need to go ahead and, and start uh, purchasing some of those uh, definitely so that you can have them on hand all right hey um, I've had a couple of requests for time stamping articles so um, you know, so basically, you know, if people didn't want to hear a certain article or it was a topic that they didn't care about, um, you know, if if it was time stamped, they could forward to it. I'm going to try to do that with this episode and just kind of see how long it is. And one of the things when I replied is, again, I'm doing this late at night. And so that's another thing going through uh, and, you know, finding out exactly where it's at and then adding that. So I don't I'm going to try to time how long that takes me uh, to do, see if it's going to be that long. Uh, and because uh, I know that that will be helpful for you. But at the same time, I, I, I you know, I don't want it to be something that's just going to take me uh, so long that I'm, I'm losing losing more sleep. Uh, although I enjoy it. I enjoy doing this podcast, enjoy, uh, you know, reading these articles and, and giving the commentary for that. But hopefully that's good. If that is something that you do appreciate and that's something that would be helpful, hey, come and drop me a line in the comment section of episode 69 or hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, you know, go there. Hey, don't forget, I'm going to be linking to that video with Melissa K. Norris on canning. You're going to want to come check that out. Um, I'm going to link to it on episode 69, and it's also going to be on edthatmatters.com. So anyway, thanks so much for listening today. Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and definitely stay aware. Peace.